the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast and as always, it's great to have you along. Really pleased that you're choosing to listen to the show. We've got a great treat for you today. We've got Richard Nichols, who is a psychotherapist, he's an author, he's a podcaster and seriously, check out his podcast, it's brilliant um but yeah i'm delighted to get richard on and he, he shares some wonderful insights around the driving industry and what we can do to manage expectations around the the backlog of tests how we can look after ourselves and how we can even look after our students as always we'll go into a lot of other stuff as well but i do appreciate listening and if you want to support the show there's a couple of ways you can do that you can leave us a nice little five-star review. You can subscribe. You can share. If you want some bonus content as well, head over to patreon.com forward slash the instructor. Sign up there. You'd get access to this episode early and a whole host of other things to come. But for now, let's make a start and get listening to myself and Richard Nichols. <music> So, welcome to the Instructor Podcast, and today I am joined by someone who I'm probably not stretching a little bit if I was to refer to them as a little bit of an idol of mine, and they are an author, a podcaster, and a psychotherapist, Richard Nichols. Thanks for joining me today, Richard. How are you? I'm all right, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on here. No, it's um, you've been someone I have listened to for a long time, probably about three years actually. Um, and someone you you kind of kickstarted my voyage of self development. I'm sure we'll touch on that as uh, as we get into this podcast. But I think I'd like to start off just by asking us, asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do now. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a psychotherapist in private practice, and about uh, 10, 11 years ago. Um, I started up uh, a podcast because back back then, before I was a psychotherapist, uh, I was a hypnotherapist. So it was all about um, relaxation, guided imagery, that sort of stuff. Very, very lovely, lovely stuff. But I like, <laughs> I guess it's a narcissistic streak in me, um, being the centre of attention. You know, as a, as a therapist, most of the time you're there just to listen. There's a, you're not there to provide a great deal of advice because that's not what we do. We're there to listen to other people. But there's obviously a narcissistic streak in me because when I decided to become a therapist, I was like, all right, if, if, if I've got to listen to you talk for half an hour, you know, you've got to listen to me talk for a bit. So I'm going to specialise in this. So it was all about audio. And I was a, as a young kid... Uh, when I was like a teenager, I wanted to be a radio DJ. I thought that'd be really great. Um, and I, I cringe now at the sort of stuff that I used to do in my bedroom with friends and things, playing pirate radio and stuff like that. And if I listened to any of those recordings now, I, I would cringe so hard I'd pull a muscle. <laughs> but it, it sort of um, put me on a path that led me to, uh, through hospital radio, it led me to eventually spend more time with people that had got certain problems and needed somebody to talk to. So then when I, when I worked as a therapist for a bit, um, I, I realised that as the internet was getting more efficient and so on, that there was this real 
there were these things called podcasts that had just about started up, and I thought that's that's really a, that's a that's a genre that I can get into. That ticks a box for me because there there I'm playing the radio DJ again all over all after all these years, and because of that that sport that got because I was in the right place at the right time for that really. There wasn't very many people doing it, so I was I was number one not just in the self help and health charts, but in the whole of the UK. For every now and again, I'd be number one out of everybody up there with Radio Four and so on, which didn't really last because then everybody jumped on the bandwagon, and that's fine. I was happy with that. I've still got more listeners now than I did then, but it it meant my popularity um, encouraged um, a publishing company to contact me. They wanted me to write a book. And so I, I did. And now I'm not just Richard Nichols, the psychotherapist with a podcast. I'm Richard Nichols, the author and psychotherapist with a podcast. And, and that's, that's a, a strange identity to get my head around. Yeah. There's definitely some stuff I want to pick up there, but I think that was interesting because in a way, I kind of took a similar journey to you. When I was back in my teens, I wanted to be a radio DJ. That that was my thing, but I kind of had it uh, almost beaten out of me. You know, it was uh, it was the uncool thing to do in my school. Was that yeah. so? Uh, I, I gave up on that, and it was only a few years ago. Well, no, probably longer than a few years ago when I thought I want to do a podcast, and I never kind of associated the two of being a DJ and a, a podcaster. But I think that's where it stemmed from. Yeah. And, it took some some self-development and, and, and building my own confidence up to actually do it. I've only been doing it since, oh, I think it's March this year, I brought the first one out. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, and I, I don't think it's just us, but a lot of podcasters stem from that initial wanting to be a DJ. Um, do you think you would have made it as a DJ if, if you'd have actually sort of been given a role? Do you think you would have embraced that and made it? Um. <sighs> Potentially, yes. Um, I, I, I'm not sure whether I'd have ended up just making jingles or something like that. Just did the occasional <laughs> weather seal window advert or something like that. You know how much it costs to get windows changed. Why don't you change your windows with windowfitters.com or something like that? I don't know what I'd have ended up doing, but I, I'm a bit too rambly, I think, for for radio. I, <laughs> I'm i a bit waffly. I do go off on tangents, which is why my po- my podcast is so heavily s- or, or scripted almost. I, I have to make co- you know, so many copious notes to make sure that I don't start waffling because the real me is a bit of a waffler. <laughs> and I think maybe if I, if I got involved in the old radio DJ, radio presenting stuff, I could have learned some skills earlier on to not be quite so waffly. Um, but I didn't, and instead of had to try and talk myself uh, how to not be quite so waffly. Not there yet, but hey, I'm only 45, so you know I've got a long way to go. Um, yeah, I, again, it's interesting when you're saying that because um, that kind of I, I reflect on that a little bit in that I waffle a lot and, and have those massive tangents. And I, the reason I asked you that question, whether you would have made it, because I don't think I would have done for a similar reason to what you said, and also I'm very it's not, I'm going to say that I want the show to be about me. It's not that I want the show to be about me. I want the show to be about what I want it to be about. Whereas obviously if you're a DJ, you've got to tailor to certain things. But again, interesting because you, you say that you heavily script yourself to, to reduce the waffle. 
I think I just embrace it. I've given up. I'm like, no, screw it. We'll go as long as we need to because I'm going to talk a lot. <laughs> well, that's why my episodes are so short. I'm able to get so much because I, I do. I mean, I've certainly been tempted in the past just to turn the mic live and go right waffle off I go and then stop after 10 minutes and for a very brief period back in I think 2011 I did try that I did try that and then I got one negative review (laughs) just the one out of a hundred that were positive I got one negative one that said something along the lines of I don't know why this guy's got so many five-star reviews it all seems a bit uh, a bit waffly if all if all honesty it doesn't seem as if there's a script or anything not really quite sure about this. And I was gutted. I'm like, no, <laughs> you've spotted my trauma inside me. And and so after that, I was like, right, clearly, I mean, it's so wrong. Clearly, that one negative review means every show now has to be scripted to the word. And it's not quite that that rigid, but it is it is close to it. But I do find, even though it might take me all day, and it, and it does, I, may, I, I started... Um, putting notes together a podcast episode this morning at time to sit down and start doing that. Well, it would have been half past seven. I had a bit of a break to have a cup of tea and I've had a few breaks, but uh, literally apart from having some lunch to watch Demon Slayer with my son, it's now quarter past two and literally I've finished all the notes right before I I spoke with you. So, you know, it takes me all day, but it means that the stuff I want to get across can be condensed and crushed down into literally just 15 minutes. And it's got all the embedded metaphors and analogies that you sort of <laughs> expect from my sort of stuff. And and I can get it all done in 15 minutes. And there is a part of me that thinks, just make it half an hour and just have a bit of a, just relax into it and, and see what happens and then edit it down afterwards if you like. But knowing me, it'd take me all day to edit it down and I'd probably re-record some bits. So this, it works for me. <laughs> I, I would be fascinated. I would love to see you with a live mic. Just just, just go. I think that would, uh, yeah. I'm going to put that as a request on your Patreon, I think. Well, the, well, this is kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, there you go. You're so, right. You know, your wish is my command. <laughs> just to put your mind at rest about something there, you probably remember at some point last year, middle of last year, I think it was, I had the comedian Robin Ince yeah. on my show. And... We, we spoke for, it would have been an hour. It was an hour that we spoke for. And, I, and after we, we stopped recording, I said, thank you very much. That was great. And he went, yeah, sorry. If you, sorry, it was so tangential. Sorry, I went off on so many tangents. And, and I thought all those tangents were important. They're all so, they were all so useful. They all meant something. It wasn't a tangent for the sake of it. It was it was useful. It was useful stuff. And and this is somebody that's been in the public eye for decades. It's somebody that's been on stage and has written books and does radio and TV. And yet still, he said, yeah, sorry if I went off on what I'm a bit waffly, aren't I? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Absolutely fine. And it was. It was absolutely fine. Um, well, another thing you mentioned there about the the one negative review, I found that quite interesting and that's my favorite word interesting by the way. <laughs> uh yeah, I find it quite interesting and quite Ron refreshing. Burford. Ron Burford. It's been 10 years and it's still there in my head. Ron Burford. <laughs> um yeah, so you mentioned about the the one negative review and how that impacted you. And I just find it interesting because uh, I had someone recently who, uh, well, that season one actually of this show, uh, Mitali Deepakistra, and she came on and she had a, set herself a goal for this year of doing 100 podcasts this year, uh, appearing on one. And she recently did a, a 
post saying she'd done 57. And then she tagged me and said, Terry, you're in the top five that I've done. And I thought, you would think that your first response would be, awesome, yeah. No, my first response is why at number one. <laughs> you know? Oh, Terry. I know. I, I, I reframed it. I took yeah. it back. I thought about it. But it, it's that um, that negativity, isn't it? We, we almost yeah. latch onto that. Like you said, with that one review, or um, if I get, like, as a driving instructor, I'll, 99% of my customers that come to me will will stay throughout. Every now and I get one. Every, every now and I get one who doesn't not, maybe doesn't like me or isn't a yeah. suitable or whatever, and they go, and it still bothers me. How do how how do you handle that when you have that, like you said, that negative review or, or that one thing? Being a therapist obviously means I'm quite interested in psychology. Makes it a bit easier because I, I do it so much to try and see things from other people's perspectives to recognise that everybody's got their own map of the world and their own expectations. And we can't always fulfil somebody's expectations. There might easily be a clash of personalities. I mean, one thing I say to all my all, all, anybody that emails me and says, I'm looking for a therapist, how do I find one? I say the same thing to everybody. Um, you find some therapists that are Know, local to you if possible, because it's nice to see people face-to-face where we can, you get five or six and you you phone each one and have a chat. Just five minutes. But you you need to speak to each one f- for at least five minutes and just get a feel of, of what they're like and who they are. And it might mean that you have to have a couple of sessions with maybe two or three, three different therapists before you get one that you click with. Because 100% the most important aspect when it comes to therapy, is the relationship that you create with your therapist. The modality that they specialise in, whether it's you know Freudian psychoanalysis or whether it's cognitive behavioural therapy at the other end of the spectrum, no matter what they do, it, 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 it kind of, to a degree, doesn't matter as long as they're you know doing a good job. The only thing that matters is that you can create a good, strong, solid therapeutic relationship with them, that you like them and... Everything just clicks. Yeah, I, I kind of get this guy. There's nothing uncomfortable. This guy doesn't make me feel in any way uncomfortable. It means that if you're going to do that to five different therapists, you've got to reject four of them. And it has to happen it, in order to get, to get a, a good, successful outcome from therapy. Because it's a bit of a coincidence that the first therapist you stumble across is exactly the therapist that you need. Because... It might not be. And I've had so many emails from people saying two years into therapy, they're like, I still don't click with my therapist. Do you think I should find another one? Yes. <laughs> oh, God, yes. You you, you should have you should have dealt with that a long time ago. And that's a real shame you didn't. But it is what it is. Yeah, of course. We are going to meet people who go, eh, don't really get on with that person. And it happens. And we have to accept that. And the only way to accept that, I think, is to accept ourselves. To be able to say, I, I know I'm good at what I do. I know I'm good enough. I know I'm good enough. And that's a, being good enough is a difficult thing to accept in ourselves sometimes. And I think it's quite brave of the, the, I suppose, in my situation, the learner to actually come out and say, actually, no, you're not right for me. I'm going to find someone else. And mm-hmm. I've um, I've got another podcast on the go at the minute called Driving Test Tales, which is well, what it says on the tin. Uh, I'm speaking to other students who pass their tests and get you know their experience from that. And there's not many episodes on it so far, but they're all saying that same thing. They're saying that the advice they're giving is don't settle on your first instructor. 
if that first instructor's not right for you, move on. And, and I think the other thing is, the more I do this podcast, the more I realise that, that the instructor industry isn't standalone. Obviously, there's unique things about it, but like you were just talking about there, about finding the right therapist for you. It's like, I've never really looked at it that way. I just looked at it from the instructor's perspective, but I suppose that that runs throughout. Um, you mentioned, obviously, a couple of times about being a psych- psychotherapist. Uh, I was just wondering if you could clarify what psychotherapist is as opposed to any other kind of therapist. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a joke in the talk therapy world. What's the difference between a counsellor and a psychotherapist? About £20 an hour. <laughs> uh, and, and although there is you know, great truth in that, the reality is um, there's an extra year of training that goes with it, but um, the difference between counselling and psychotherapy is that although counsellors do do psychotherapy and psychotherapists do do counselling, counselling is very much, well, I think we all, we've all got a good idea of what counselling is. You sit down with somebody with, with your problems and you talk about your life and you gain some new perspectives. With psychotherapy, there might be a lot more where it's appropriate, gentle digging and delving. Psychotherapists, we're slightly more infatuated with how you got to where you did. What is it about you, the problems that might be within your personality right now? How did that how did that develop? How did that start? Is it a recent thing? Or is it something that goes back to when you were six years old, five years old, four years old, whatever? Did you make some did you accidentally make some opinions about self there based based on the opinions of other people around you that fed you those opinions and it turned into your personality? And when you do that, if it's necessary, people genuinely begin to very slowly change their personality. They become a different person. You you put you help them to put them onto a uh, onto a new pathway that, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the line, they go, God, I don't recognize myself compared to the anxious scatterbrain that I was 20 years ago, that nervous mouse in the corner. I've, I've, I've learned, I've still got, I mean, it, it, it's not completely, it's not, it's not right to say that you, you, you know, you become a completely different person. You forget about who you were. Those foundations are still there and you're going to still get those things creep back no matter how much psychotherapy you have. But hopefully with, with therapy, you learn to accept that part of you and not be so fearful of it or angry about it. And you can accept all parts of you. And I'd, I'd recommend it. Absolutely. Not everybody needs psychotherapy. They might just need somebody to sit and listen. They might just need a counsellor. But some people do really genuinely need to go digging and delving in order to get some permanent resolution. Um, I'm going to use the word again. That's interesting because um about 18 months ago, uh, I worked with a lovely lady named Shabnam Raja, who actually did some uh, hypnotherapy on me, um, worked around a lot of the beliefs I had. And, and, and you mentioned about going back to your childhood there, and, and that's where they stem from. And it may not always be something that someone's done something wrong to you at that time, but it's something that's happened and scarred you that you don't realise. And But again, up until a few years ago, I was very dismissive of anything like that. I was the sort of person that wouldn't listen to your <laughs> podcast and uh, considered it almost a uh, mumbo jumbo. And, and uh, I read someone make a comment the other day, newfangled coaching that they said this newfangled coaching technique. Um, I was a little bit like that, never completely shut down from it, but I put the, the blockers up. And again, that stems back to my upbringing and my uh, childhood. What, 
would you say, or what would you have said to me three or four years ago when I'm taking that approach to this? If you were, if you, if you were quite dismissive. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would use empathy. I would say, <laughs> I, I understand why you'd think that. And I'd, I'd go in, I'd genuinely go into the reasons why people do think that because they, because I mean, uh, because my original qualification was in hypnotherapy, that's not a field that most people understand. When anybody hears the word hypnosis, they often think of these, you know, think of Darren Brown and Paul McKenna and the stuff on stage and things like that and go, well, that's not real, is it? So what you do isn't real. I'm like, nah, what, what I do is real, but the stage stuff isn't. Um, well, it's real. It depends on what you expect. I mean, stage hypnosis is just basically helping people feel a bit more relaxed in front of an audience so that when you ask them to do something, they go, oh, right, then I'll play along. And they just play along. It's just a confidence boosting trick because you've helped them to relax and slow down their breathing and slow down their heart rate. And, and then you've got to bear in mind, of course, they put their hand in the air and volunteer to get up there in the first place. Yeah. So there's a part of them that wants to show off in front of strangers. So, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a great party trick. Not that it's ethical for a therapist to do it, but you know, you know, works on stage for some. So what I would do is I would go into that the mindset that that people come to me with with that that's not real though, is it? And 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 try and put some views across that says, yeah, I can understand why you'd think that because of these silly things that have happened or the satire that goes on in comedy programs about counselling and psychotherapy and all the Freudian stuff of you know. You, you clearly want to sleep with your mother, don't you? That's what it's all about. I said, no, that's not what Freud was saying, but that's a that's a bigger story. But I would try to get into your head to help my, help me understand what makes you tick, to help you then understand what makes me tick, and we can meet in the middle. That's that's how I tend to approach things. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of debates going on within the, the instructor industry at minute, and one of the big ones I almost touched on before is coaching, uh, how we used to be instructors and there's trying to be a, a shift now towards more coaching rather than dictating and there's a lot of people that are resistant to that and it's the same arguments that, that i was putting forward sense of how i was towards sort of hypnotherapy or, or any kind of therapy and it's really interesting seeing the parallels of the like i said the newfangled coaching i've been instructing 20 years and why do i need to change it and, and, and just like you said there, it's, it's getting into the reasons why. And I think that a lot of the time it's that there's a, and this again applied to me, there's, there's a fear of, if, well, if I acknowledge I need to change, that must mean I'm doing something wrong. Well, there's clearly a reason why that shift is happening. That, those things don't happen for no reason at all. That's clearly happening because there are so many people maybe that were failing their tests because they were anxious or they're intimidated even by the instructor. And then they, they transfer that intimidation onto the examiner. And every, they just associate driving a car with being intimidated and scared. And you don't want that. You know, that's not a good learning environment because, yeah, you'll forget where the brake is, let alone the indicators. And you do need a relaxed environment. And although I can't imagine that it would be a great environment to become overly to become friends with your students but to be more more of a coach than an instructor that sounds like a good thing 
to be able to be the, the friendly and approachable person that says, I'm not just here just to teach you how to pass your test. Yes, I'll teach you. I'll teach you what the examiner is expecting to see and so on. But I'm also going to teach you how to feel safe on the road. Let me show you how to feel safe when powering this half-ton petrol-powered traction engine, you know? Yeah. No, it's right. And it's it, since embracing that myself, I genuinely enjoy the lessons more. And I think one of the things that clicked with me, it's a slightly different look at it, but it did click for me this way, was when I had a student who um, I used to have a national driving school and she chose me through the website. And anyway, it turns out she chose me because she thought I was female. She saw the name Terry and assumed it was a female instructor. Um, but after the lesson, she got out of the car and she went to walk off and then she came back. So my assumption was I'd done something wrong straight away because she was coming back. But she opened on, can I get in? So she gets in and says, I just wanted to thank you. She said, I specifically wanted a female instructor. So when you turned up, I was really nervous, but you just put me at ease. Mm. And it somewhat just clicked on there that when they get in a car with you, you are forming a relationship. And there's two ways that can go. You can be a dictator or you can be equal or even let them, you know, rule the roost, if you like. Uh, And ever since doing that, I've just found it much more uh, relaxing. Um, Before we move on to your podcast, which I I really want to speak about, but I do want to come back right to something you said at the start because it it perked my attention. You spoke about a narcissistic, can't say this word, narcissistic streak. Yeah. Um, And you said that so flippantly yes and it's when people are talking about something that's almost it could be perceived as a negative or could be perceived as derogatory mm. we there's there's a way of saying it that i think you, you go defensive or you know you, you, but you just said that as if i'm accepting this this is this is a side of me that maybe other people will like or maybe i should have a little look at i'll keep check on but you just acknowledged it. And I, I like that. Yeah, I, I think if we can accept every part of ourselves, then we can we can begin to let go of any shame that we might hold. The difference between shame and guilt. Guilt means you know we feel uncomfortable about something that we've done. Whereas shame is is an uncomfortable feeling about who we are as a person. And there is to in in a lot of people, a narcissistic part to us. Lots of us um, crave attention or enjoy attention or get fed from it. Some don't, but a lot of extroverts do. And, I, and I'm quite the extrovert. When somebody relatively famous follows me on Twitter, I feel the need to tell somebody. I was chatting to a, chatting to a friend about this the other day. Who was it that followed me? And it made me made me made me want to tell him. I don't know, but I felt the urge again last night when I noticed that Susanna. Lipscomb, the historian, was following me. I'm like, you're following me now. Fantastic. And I wanted to tell my wife. But then I know all that does is just like it always does is a so it doesn't matter, Richard. It doesn't matter who follows you on Twitter. I know it doesn't, but (laughs) but we get fed from other people's narcissistic supply. They put out put something out there that's look if you're important and you value me therefore I'm important and as a therapist I can see that process going on so I can I can accept it to a degree almost embrace it but I don't feel guilty or, or, or shameful about it and I know the word narcissist can sometimes get used negatively 
you see a lot of it on the internet with somebody saying that there's problems in their relationship and then somebody pops up with, oh, he's a narcissist. You've just got to let him go. You've just got to dump him. Just got to, just got to leave that relationship. He's a narcissist. He's a narcissist. And yeah, that, that, that phrase I think has been overused. There is a condition called narcissistic personality disorder, which is tremendously painful for somebody to experience. And to live with somebody with that is awful. You know, it really can be soul destroying and even dangerous, but it's relatively rare. But for somebody to enjoy being the center of attention, I think if we can accept that part of us, but at the same time also accept other people might not want to hear everything we've got to say, then we can we can sort of rewind and take ourselves down a little bit and find that middle ground. And then that's where I've got to, yeah. And I can I can accept myself warts and all. I uh, I must admit that I had the same feeling when you followed me on Twitter. It was, hey. it was like, yes, I've made it. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm going to give uh, take this moment to give a, a brief shout out to um, uh, a good friend of mine and friend of the show, Robin Bates, who uh, went of coaching for geeks. For anyone listening, um, who when he found out you was on the show, immediately started cursing because when he had his podcast, you were the only person he couldn't beat in the charts. So, oh, yeah. Um, so, hello, Robin. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I do want that's a good opportunity and almost a good segue into your podcast. So you said you started it uh, sort of eleven years ago. Just tell me a little bit about how that's developed and, and and what it's done for you. I suppose almost in terms of your personal progression, but also your, your professional progression, if, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, I mean, my, my life is I think very different to what it was. 11 years ago, because I was a hypnotherapist back then playing around with audio files and, and, I, and I would make um, hip, hypnotherapy tracks for people. And, and, and I still use those same tracks now and share them to my patrons on Patreon. And I quite liked, because of my radio DJ uh, desires as a youngster, playing around with sounds and music and playing that in the left ear and that in the right ear and playing around and stuff like that. I wanted to create something for my private clients for in between their sessions, just a little bit of a motivational thing just to keep them going. And social media had started to, I guess, Facebook started on 2005, 2006, something like that. Maybe it was around that time anyway. And I thought, yeah, it'd be quite nice to do something on there. Uh, but I ended up putting just little tiny snippets of things on my website, just five minutes. And, and I would have these group sessions as as well in this little place around the corner from where I worked in, in Staffordshire, in Tamworth. And I'd record that and I'd share that with people. And after a while, um, because podcasting was starting to get you know, more popular, Radio 1 were making a lot, Radio 4 were making a lot. And I thought, you know what, there's a... I could do more with with my microphones, and I could really do more. So I create. I then started to do these just these little bits, little ten minute snippets of stuff, and and it didn't have a title at first. And it wasn't until I put it onto iTunes in I think it was twenty ten, the middle of twenty ten. Maybe it was January twenty ten. Might have been January twenty ten, or was it twenty eleven? I can't remember. I've slept since then. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I, I started to put them onto iTunes in the January. And it was like episode 54 at that point. 
And it was called Motivate Yourself. And I called it that just because I, I, I thought the word motivation and motivate was what people wanted to see and wanted to hear. And so it was all, it was, it was about how to, how to get yourself motivated, how to keep motivation. But there's only so many times you can, you can do that before you end up repeating yourself too much. So once my, so well, really the sort of the podcast started to change a little bit and was more about just mental health in general, more about counseling, more about psychotherapy, psychology and some research that's been done and little tricks and tips and things like that. And, and that's where the book, the book deal came from when the publishers approached me and went, you're really popular. People like you. We want to see the written word. What, what can you write about? I went, well, I can write about anything really, as long as it's appropriate. What do you want? And they went, well, what's popular? So what we did is we went through all the stats of all the podcast episodes and looked at the downloads because there are millions of downloads and the really popular episodes that were kept getting repeated or people kept going back to, or, or, or choosing that one over anything else, was anything that in the title had the word happy. It was all about being happy. So the audience, our demographic, just aren't happy and want to be. So they went, well, there's, there's, your, there's your title there. You've got to do something about how to be happy. Is there research into that? And I went, yeah, there's tons. Can you collate it all together into a book? Yeah, I suppose I can. And therefore, the book came out and the title that they chose was 15 Minutes to Happiness, which was always a bit funny about us. I thought it was a bit of a long title, but they went, no, 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 people like 15 minutes. I was like, oh, okay. Because in the book, write about the things that people can do in 15 minutes to keep themselves topped up and keep themselves well. Oh, okay. So I did. And... That was, I wrote that in 2017. That was published January 2018. So it's been a couple of years now. Not that we count 2020. That's a write-off, you know, but I didn't think about that year. And, uh, and, and I did, when it got to that point, I did then rename the, the podcast from Motivate Yourself to simply the Richard Nichols podcast, because that's, that's what it is. And it meant then I didn't have to narrow everything down to motivation. I could I could just talk about any topic that was appropriate for mental health. And here we are all these years later. And it's yeah, it changed my my, my clinic completely because I was working four days in a clinic and one day seeing clients online. And when I do go back to the clinic work, which I've not been able to do yet because I've got too many online clients, it's going to be the other way around. It's going to be four days working seeing online clients and one day in the clinic. And it's meant that sadly, um, if somebody chooses me to be their therapist, they've got a long wait. There's like a six to nine month waiting list to see me because there's only so many people that I can see in a day and not burn out. And I think it's important that we all recognize that, especially driving instructors. You You don't have to say yes to every inquiry. If you need to, of course, yeah. And even then there might be times where, no, it's not appropriate or this doesn't feel right. I think you'd be better off with another instructor, but especially when you're busy and somebody says, but I, especially when there's a big backlog of people needing lessons, like my son's going to be 17 in October. I need to start getting him some lessons booked in now because he's, he's not going to be able to get started to learn to drive. I'm sure because of this backlog, we are going to get Email after email, phone call after phone call. When can you see my son? When can you see me? When can you get some lessons in? Are they ready to get the, to have their test done yet? Bang, 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 bang. And there is going to be quite a lot of stress. And we've got to learn our boundaries, I think, and learn when to say, 
no, actually, I'm, I'm, I don't have any availability, unfortunately. You've uh, you've just answered my next question, <laughs> which is good. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it's completely right. I mean, I've actually booked someone in this morning to start in December. Um, and as you mentioned, the backlog, I think it's currently around about 400,000, 450,000 tests that are, uh, that are waiting to be booked or, or people waiting to book tests. Um, so I kind of... The way I'm managing that at the minute is I'm being very – a lot of instructors are sort of doing proper waiting lists. They're taking deposits. They're, they're getting people in a queue, essentially. Others aren't taking deposits, but they're just still getting the queue. I'm, I'm being very more flippant with that. Um, I'm tend to I'm booking the odd person in where to start. But the way I'm handling it is just, if I can, I will. Um, I, the work's not going to disappear, so I'm – almost purposely not having much of a waiting list. Um, but there are people out there that are struggling. And like you said, um, feel like they have to take on everyone. And part of being a driving instructor is we want to fix people's problems. You know, it's it's one of the, the hard transitions for me going from uh, almost instructor-led to coach-led is as an instructor, when they make a mistake, I just want to dive in and fix it and help. And, that that's the I think it's a natural thing for instructors and and we can't now. So is is have you one of any suggestions on how to to manage that side of it? Like you say, feeling comfortable saying no to people or offering alternative suggestions or or, or anything around that. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's 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 going to be impossible to not feel a little bit anxious or a little bit guilty about saying no to somebody when they're asking you for help. But practice makes perfect. You've just got to do it time and time again and have a, if you can, a stock phrase that you use in your head that says, sorry that I can't be your driving instructor right now. Um, This is what I recommend you do. This is where I think it would be a good idea for you you to go. Here is the website here. Here are some people that I recommend there. Um, I wish you well, do take care. Once you've got whatever phrase is appropriate in your in your head, it can just just flow. It just becomes natural to do it, and you, and eventually, it doesn't make you feel guilty or embarrassed about saying no to somebody, because everybody wants an easy life. Everybody wants to just to pick up the phone or send one email, and boom, I've got everything that I want there and then. And that's not your fault if somebody else has got the wrong expectations. And I've had that many times over the years. As you could imagine, people, maybe they've listened to the podcast for four or five years and they're like, I really click with this guy. I don't need any other therapist. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to email him and see if he's available tomorrow for a therapy session. No, I'm really sorry. I I, I can't. Um, I, I don't have any availability, but here are some phone numbers and here are some email addresses. And they're like, but I want to see you. And well, that's not my fault. And and it sounds really harsh to, to think of it. And as I say that now, I, I don't say those words in my head, but I guess that's the meaning behind my actions, which is, okay, their expectations are in the wrong place and that's not my fault. I have done nothing wrong. I didn't ask for that inquiry. I didn't ask to upset you. It's not my fault. And then I can't feel guilty because I think it is about guilt, that feeling of that uncomfortable feeling. And maybe that stems from... Do we sometimes think, well, I'm not good enough anyway, so the more I do, the the, the better I'll be. 
sometimes that can be, a, be the case. And we do need a little bit of self-analysis sometimes to go, am I good enough? Actually, as a, as a friend, as a human, as an instructor, as a coach, as an anything, am I already good enough? Do I have anything to prove? Who am I trying to prove the, prove anything to? My dad from 30 years ago? What am I doing with myself? And we all have that sort of process. I remember, I forget quite what it was. There was a couple of things that happened to me. And I thought to myself, that would make my dad proud. And I thought... Where did that phrase come from? What is that there? It'd have been proud anyway. No, despite you know, this or, or not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But still, as an adult, there's that childish phrase in my head that says, no, I want to make my parents proud because that's what, we're, that's what I was born to do. And of course we're not. It just feels that way, doesn't it, sometimes? I think there's sort of the idea of wanting to help people as well. is just natural for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I know that for, for the instructors listening now, the I, I think I'm doing what you suggested without actually intending to, um, because when people sort of message me, it's usually a message inquiries as well rather than ring. I'll generally say, no, can't take anyone on for, well, a minute, it's still December. So you're welcome to get back in touch then, but here's some resources. And I've got free stock resources that I send them. And straight away, I mean, we, you mentioned guilt a couple of times, there, but straight away I don't feel guilty because mm-hmm. like, I can't, physically help you but i can still help you with this so maybe anyone that's listening now if there's something that you can offer um whether i don't know like i've got my five minute theory podcast and um i've got a group that i use and smaller bits and bobs that i send their way and that seems to relieve any guilt although it wasn't intentionally why why i was doing it so that's a good thing and in fact just on that we're talking about um tests and students and stuff i think the other thing i'd love to get your opinion on is the pressure students are under. Now, this is um, sort of a double-edged sword, if you like, in that normally if someone fails a driving test, it's sort of in the, in the good old days, you know, before 2020, you could retake it five or six weeks later. You know, often you could even get in a couple of weeks later. At the minute, it's six months. Um, so that's added pressure. And one of the, the things that I mention a lot is, Sometimes coming to a driving test, the students feel that, start to feel the pressure. And that's when I'd say, right, let's put your test back three weeks and we're going to work on those pressure situations that hadn't arisen before. We can't do that now. So I'm just wondering if you've got any, I suppose, initially uh, advice that we could be offering our students that are feeling that pressure. But I suppose on the flip side, then that's added pressure to instructors as well. So any advice that you could offer, (laughs) offer us as well? Well, I think it starts in some of the early sessions. I, I think it probably starts if you don't, or if people aren't already doing it. And I know when I learned to drive many years ago, and nobody, they didn't mention nerves or pressure or anything like that back in those days. It wasn't until I became a therapist that anybody taught me any breathing exercises to help me to regulate my heart rate so that I didn't get too hot or didn't get too sweaty or didn't feel too nervous. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that until until I became a therapist, until I trained as a therapist. And I think, why isn't this taught to kids in school? It's one thing to stretch children's comfort zones, put them on stage in front of their their, their school friends in some assembly or something and do Oliver Twist or whatever. But beforehand, you need to teach them how to handle those feelings when they come into the stomach, into your muscles. Because when when you transfer that into a car... We, we want 
to be stable. We want to sit in that seat and hold that steering wheel and it doesn't shake. If we can teach people right at the start, if you do feel that your body gets a bit tight, gets a bit nervous, then you, you check it. Check your body before you put your seat before you actually put your seatbelt on. You know, are you holding yourself too tightly? Are your shoulders up too high? Let them hang a little bit looser. Are you holding your neck too tightly? Are you are, are you actually comfortable here? Are you, are you gripping the steering wheel too tightly? And I'm sure you probably do that. But if you can just, just relax that little bit and tell your body that everything's going to be okay, you've got a better chance of being able to regulate your heart rate when you take a few deep breaths from the diaphragm, deep in the bottom of the lungs, rather than the shallow breathing at the top half. The sort of stuff you've probably heard me waffling on, on about all the time. But if people just Google breathing exercises for anxiety, fight or flight response, all that sort of stuff, you'll get all these YouTube videos and clips and demonstrations of people talking about diaphragmatic breathing, how to regulate your heart rate, and you can hear it in the the, the, the the student's voice. You'll hear if they speak too quickly, you know that they're gasping for breath, they're gasping for breath, blah, 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 blah. Slow down. If you can teach them just how to soften the body, how to take a few deep breaths, how to feel in control of their body, then what happens then, it doesn't matter if, because beforehand there's this thing that says, yeah, but what if? What if I get nervous? What if I get scared? What if I start to shake? What if I get that feeling in my stomach? What if I feel like I need to go to the toilet? If if it doesn't matter that they get that feeling, because the answer is, oh, it doesn't matter. You'll be able to control that a little bit. A little bit of anxiety is good. It keeps you sharp. It keeps you focused. But obviously too much can be a hindrance. So they need to know how to find that balance in between where they can feel something so that it keeps them sharp and it keeps them listening so they don't wander off in their mind and they're thinking about what they've got to do later that day. They are actually listening to the examiner and they are watching the road. If they can find that middle ground with a little bit of anxiety, just enough to keep them focused, but not so much to make them shake, they're going to feel in control. And I think that's really important for people. Yeah. And using the word again, it's interesting you say that because um we have masks on now in the car um it's not mandatory anymore but i still do um and the, the thing that's that that's taught me is to pay more attention to the student's body if you like rather than their face it's a lot harder to read facial expression when people are wearing a mask and and some of the stuff you were describing there about tensing the shoulders and and tightening the knuckles it's like i wasn't really noticing that before so even if we're looking at the pandemic, that's one good thing that's come out of it. It's made me look at the, the students differently. Um, and, and yeah, that's something I've noticed and, and been able to, to help with a little bit. And again, like you mentioned, it's, it's through or partly through listening to your podcast that I've, I've picked up on stuff like that. Um, I'm just bringing it back to your podcast again for a second in that I do want to mention that this is sort of partly to you and partly to everyone listening that um I first stumbled across yours about three years ago, and this was my first step into personal development, self-development, and I, I touched on this before, considered it all mumbo-jumbo, put the blinkers up, not for me sort of thing. But because your episodes are, are quite short, like you mentioned, they're about 10 minutes long, um, I thought, well, let's just see what this is about. I can't remember how I came across it, but I thought, let's see what this is about. Oh, I like that. Very pleasant sounding voice, which always attracts me. So I was able to, I just started binge listening because there was a good few years worth on there at the time. Um, and that's what got me into self-development initially. That was the first step. And I'm also going to give a shout out to your book as well, because there's three books that I have 
listened slash read more than twice. And yours is one of them. One is a Dan Meredith book, which I believe is called How <laughs> The First Word of This Show, The How to Be Fucking Awesome, um, which is a brilliant nice. book. Yep. Uh, another one is by Jen Sincero, uh, and that is How to Be a Badass. So technically, yours is the only book without a swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yours is obviously 15 Minutes to, to Happiness. And they're the only three self-help books, at least, that I've, I've listened to or read more than twice. Uh, and I couldn't give your book a bigger compliment <laughs> than that. And anyone listening, go check it out, because it's one of those books for me where I didn't take away lots of little things. It was like an overriding feeling almost from listening to the book. I'll be honest, I enjoyed listening to it more than reading it. Just, mm. I think it was your voice, as I mentioned before. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's a thoroughly good book. So anyone should check that out. But I also want to just step back again. And I mentioned Jensen Chero's book. Now, Jensen Chero is someone that's very much um, into, I forget the word, uh, affirmation. And, um, you know, you think it and it will happen. Which, oddly enough, I listened to your most recent episode, I believe it was this morning, which was about that. And I've had the the thought around affirmation, and you summed it up a hell of a lot better than me, um, which was, I'm not even going to try and sum it up. I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, how would you sum up that, how affirmation actually works? Um, without going into too much detail, because people can go and check your podcast. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, there's this phrase that athletes and sports psychologists will often say, which is, if you can see it, you can be it. And it sounds great, doesn't it? That all you've got to do is just picture it in your mind and you can make it happen. But with many things, it's not the end result that we need to be, that the affirmations need to be about. It's one thing you you, you and, and and never ran a race and you know, fastest man alive. You know, it's not going to make you the fastest man alive. You're not Usain Bolt. But if you've put in the same amount of work as everybody else's, the one that's got the positive affirmation that says, I can see, I can, I can imagine myself feeling the burn, but pushing myself further. I can, I can do that. I can feel that I can do this. Then they've got more of a chance, but for the sort of everyday stuff for, 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 for some normal humans, affirmations can sometimes cause more harm than good if we're not careful because if we do structure them wrongly we've only got ourselves to blame if things don't go right and if we can if we can focus our affirmations on a particular behavior that we know we can do so rather than say for example somebody wants to um they want to pass their driving test that's a common one of course asking them to imagine passing the driving test isn't likely to actually make them pass their driving test. But what is, is asking them to imagine the study that they're going to do. It's imagining watching the YouTube videos of, because there's so many, there's, there's lots of instructors doing YouTube clips. And I've, 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 I've got friends who've got children who I've got, they've got to go and do their, their homework. And it's just watching somebody drive a car and using the mirror and using the indicators and so on in the right way. And if, if, if that is their focus, if they can imagine themselves doing that, then they will. So the affirmations are an extension of that, that rather than, let's say, uh, using weight loss is a, is, a, is a common one that people use affirmations for. They might say, I am slim, I am athletic, I am healthy. I am slim, I am athletic, I am healthy. No, you're not. And you deep down know it. Whereas if your affirmation is, I will eat healthily, I will become slim. I can become slim. 
I can become fit, I can become healthy, I can do this, then those affirmations are more likely to steer you in the right direction. Basically, they just need to be realistic. And as a hypnotherapist, that's the, one of the first things that they teach you at college is to, is to help structure affirmations that you're going to say to people. But it has to be positive, it has to be framed positively. There's a big difference between I'm not going to fail and I'm going to pass. If somebody, if somebody creates an affirmation that says, I'm not going to fail, I'm not going to fail, I'm not going to panic, I'm not going to have an anxiety attack, I'm not going to have a heart attack, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> you know, you're steer, they're steering themselves in the wrong direction because they're using negative words. The brain doesn't know what doesn't exist. So you can't think about what not to do. You have to structure an affirmation as to what you do want. You know, I want, you know, they, they want to be calm. I can be calm. If It might seem unrealistic to say, I will pass. I will be calm. I will do this. It might not seem right. And deep down they know it, so it has no effect at all. Whereas to say, I'm capable of this. I know I can do this. This has been done before. This is possible. This is genuine. This is real. They're going to steer themselves into the right direction. But yeah, it's it's a... It's a, it's a complicated field, affirmations, it really is. Well, it's one of the reasons why I like speaking to people like yourself, because you can explain it a hell of a lot better than I can when I try and do it to my students. Um, but one of the phrases that I say with them is, one of the things I hear a lot on lessons is, um, I can't do it. And I say they can say it, but as long as they say yet afterwards, so they can't do it yet. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. That's brilliant. Yes, I do the same thing. It's wonderful. I... I probably picked it up from you somewhere. Yeah, you, yeah, you might have done, to be fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to claim it as a Terry original. It's fine. That's um, cool. But again, just touching back on that, when the first lockdown was on, so this was the, the April 2020, I think, um, I did a lot of, well, every week or probably more than that, I was going live in my Facebook group for my learners and just try to keep them upbeat and stuff and, and also keep me entertained. But there was... Um, I got them to, or I was encouraging them to visualize driving because they weren't practicing driving. They couldn't. They weren't even allowed private practice at that time. Yeah. So I got almost every night, spend five minutes at the edge of your bed, sit in a driving position, pretend you're grabbing the wheel, pretend you're moving the pedals, and and just visualize it. And you know, yeah. it's probably not the most eloquent way for me to do it, but it was odd that generally the ones that had been doing that came back in a better position. And yeah. I think the other one I'm going to throw in there is that um, an old Formula One drivers are taught don't think about not hitting the wall think stay on the track yeah because it's where your brain goes isn't it yeah yeah um, absolutely and then the last thing i want to touch on because uh, i've taken up a lot of your time already and it's very much appreciated is your patreon um and i will put links for this in the show notes for anyone listening a first of all go check out richard's podcast b buy his book c sign up to his patreon all worthwhile but um, uh, two questions around that. Firstly, um, what made you decide to go down the Patreon route? Because it's something I've just opted to do. And secondly, just tell us a little bit about the the thing you're doing around the charity behind that as well. Mm. Yeah, i I wanted to I wanted to make weekly podcast episodes because my my podcast it, it's been a, it was a monthly thing for years and if i had a bit more time i'd try and do one in the middle of the month on the 15th of every month where i could but i wanted to do more because i looked at my time and in a day so that you don't burn out especially as a psychotherapist you can really only see four or five people at most if you see more than that in a day and 
you, you will be emotionally drained. You will not be good for any of your clients at all. So we have to monitor our own emotions quite carefully. And I looked at how few people really I could see in a day com- compared to a day's work making a podcast where I could reach thousands. And it was a big thing to think, okay, if I sacrifice a day of my wages, this is how much I'm going to lose. But from a pride perspective or from an influence perspective, this is the benefits that I can put out in the world. But I just couldn't, I couldn't completely warrant it. But maybe I just couldn't completely afford it. You know, maybe if I put my prices up for all my clients throughout the rest of the week, maybe I could, but that didn't seem like an ethical thing to do. So I thought, okay, if only, if a small fraction of my listeners were to become patrons where they just pay, you know, five or six quid a month, they can support this and I'll give them the weekly episode. And I decided to do that. And as soon as I put it out there, I think it was in, uh, it was, it was, it was January 2019 was the day that I started doing it. And I started talking about it in, would have been the you know, November, December public episodes to go, this is what I'm going to do. And when it's on, this is where you go to sign up. Even before I put any content out there, people jumped on board to start paying to go, yep, we want, we do want to hear more from you. And it does mean um, that I can take a, a day off, which is a Friday, usually uh, once a week to concentrate just on podcast stuff. And it means I, I can reach you know, all my patrons there's, there's hundreds of them. I can reach all of those with a day's work. I couldn't do that if it was just one to one. So it really does. It ticks. It ticks the boxes for the for for my values. That's what I want to do. But there was there's obviously a part of me that goes well. The more patrons I get, the cheaper this can become. And and I put it out to all the patrons at the start that said, "Hey, I'm getting more and more patrons now. I can either drop the price or I can use the money that you." that you're, you're, you're donating to me to go in places that might need it. And I can, I'll find the charities and I use, uh, there's a couple of charities, there's some food banks. Um, crikey, I ought to have a list of this. There's the National Children, the Deaf Children's Society. There's a couple of different food banks, actually. Um, and there's loads of different stuff. And one called Kiva, which I use, which is like a uh, interest-free sort of a, a loan thing for people that are struggling all around the world. It's really, really good. And, and also I use it to actually pay for therapy for people that can't afford it, because sadly we do tend to find that those that need the help the most are those that can't afford it. And so I work with some other therapists and well, actually what I tend to do is somebody will approach me and say, do you have any availability for the, um, uh, to, to contribute? And if I do, um, ask them to go and find, find a therapist. Here's some, here's a list of some that I think might be able to help you. Have a chat to all of them, see which one you like, and then I'll they you two contact me every time you have a session, and I'll pay for it. And it comes out of the the the, the Patreon pennies. So we're literally, and this is people at the end, you know, they're they're they're, they're in despair, absolute despair, they're suicidal. We're saving lives with that. We're doing things that if somebody couldn't go to therapy and get some help because the NHS just can't help, that's com- completely overwhelmed. We're, we're helping people to not take their own lives. Sometimes I have to stop and remind myself of, that we're doing that. 
so that I can appreciate what I do and, and what people have donated to me. It's it's wonderful. It makes me very proud. It really, really does. It should be. It's, it's a special thing. Um, and it's also something that motivated me uh, recently when when I decided to, to, to open this up to Patreon. It was that that I thought, right, I'm going to give a percentage to charity. And again, I haven't quite decided which yet, but I'm going to give a percentage to, to charity. And then... Again, thinking about you and how you'd thought, right, well, I'll have this day off and then this can pay for my day off. You know, I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set this target of when I reach this amount, I can have this day off. And then anything above that, I can increase the amount that I give to charity. And so that's something that's motivated me. So I, I appreciate that as well. Um, you mentioned about Friday being your day off. We are recording this on Friday, I believe. I've got my days mixed up. <laughs> we got this already. So I do appreciate you giving us your time today on your day off. Uh, the last question I'm going to ask you is one that I forgot to warn you about in preparation. So I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Yikes. But I ask all my uh, guests to leave us with a book recommendation, and it can't be your own. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a book recommendation. Yeah. I'm going to say... Oh, I can't do two, can I? You can. I've had someone do four on the episode recently. So. That's taking the mick. Yeah. Um, I'm going to suggest the author Matt Haig. I stumbled across Matt Haig's work a couple of years ago because he, he wrote a book about his own mental health story. And although that wasn't what he was expecting to do with his, with his, with his writing, um, that's what really started the ball rolling for him. And aside from his mental health stuff that he'll write about. He writes some amazing stories, really good stories. One fairly recently um, called The Midnight Library, which is about a woman with um, suicidal ideation. And about it's about her story. And I don't, I don't want to go into too many details, but it, it, well, it's called The Midnight Library because it's, it's a place where somebody can go and see alternative versions of their life. Had they taken, taken different choices, made different decisions. And, and it's, it's a wonderful story, absolutely wonderful story. And one he did before that was called How to Stop Time, which I absolutely adored. And that was, uh, became one of my favourite books. It really, really did. Because it's about somebody who ages so slowly. It's like they have 15 lifetimes. They live so long. And, and it's wonderful to think of the opportunities that you have when you've got all that time, the different books you can read, the different instruments you can learn to play, all these different experiences you can have and how, if we're not careful, we would waste those. And, and I, I definitely recommend Matt Haig's work. Definitely. Cool. Uh, I'm going to compile a list of all these at the end of this series. So, so um, yeah, Matt Haig will now be on there. Um, right. So finally, where can people find you? And is there anything else you would like to promote while you're on the show? Well, you can find a little bit about me at richardnichols.net, Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S, richardnichols.net. Um, links to all my different places are, are there. I have a YouTube channel where I do keep my, my podcasts on as well. Um, the reason I use YouTube isn't because I do video, although I'm tempted to now that I've got my own office because I've recently moved house. I might do, um, but I do it because um, they transcribe a, a pod, uh, audio into into text for people that are, are are deaf. Hopefully, I can get those a bit more accurate as time goes on because they can you know sometimes they get words wrong, especially with my sort of Midlands accent. But um, 
there's links on my website to my YouTube channel where there's, there's those as well as obviously iTunes and all the different places you can listen to podcasts. And you can pick up my book at any bookshop at all that might stock it, 15 Minutes to Happiness. You can find it everywhere, Amazon, Waterstones, Blackwells, wherever, wherever. Uh, yes, um, I must admit transcription doesn't work well for a broad Yorkshire accent either. <laughs> It goes very much awry. Um, but, but that's one of my goals, actually, with, with, with Patreon, that if if I do get enough patrons and enough pennies every month together, I can pay for a transcription service where somebody can properly transcribe my words and make it accurate and hopefully get it translated into different languages as well. So each podcast episode could be in, in you know, Hindi or Vietnamese or Chinese or Polish or whatever. I think it'd be really, really good to do that. That's next on my list of things to do. Do you find that your podcast goes in many uh, different countries? Well, my book was trans translated into a few different languages. So it picked up a few podcast listeners from around the world. Vietnam, I'm really popular, <laughs> really popular in Vietnam. Um, I can't, tell you how to pronounce the name of my book in Vietnamese. <laughs> I have to have it written down phonetically in front of me. And even then, oh, I can't quite get it right. Um, but yeah, I'm quite popular in Vietnam. So I'd like to get my podcast um, translated into Vietnamese if I could. That'd be great. I um, I recently released this show on the Ghana app, which I think is aimed at sort of the, the Indian culture. Um, and it went a bit nuts. <laughs> we downloads on there. So, yeah. Um I didn't expect that. <laughs> no, so thank you for your time, Sir Richard. It's been brilliant speaking to you, really insightful. And I am coming away with a lot from this, so I'm sure that anyone listening will do as well. My pleasure. You take care, Terry. So thanks for listening. I'm sure you got as much from that as I did. It was a, a real treat for me to have Richard on, as you heard through the show. Someone I've been listening to for probably an excess of three years now, and someone that's helped me quite a lot, almost inadvertently. If you want to check out Richard, all the links are in the show notes. You can check out his podcast, um, his website, all that kind of stuff. Um but yeah, I really recommend you do. His podcast comes out monthly, but I also suggest going to Patreon and sign up for his weekly ones because there's some quality there. Uh, as well as that, he drops regular sort of hypnotherapy tracks, not hypnosis, hypnosis tracks and meditation tracks. There's some real, some, some quality there. Speaking of Patreon, uh, you may have heard me talking about this at the start of the show and elsewhere. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the instructor. Again, there will be links in the show notes for this and on various social media platforms. But that's where you can get early access to this episode, usually a day or two early. Uh, as well as that, we have bonus content in there and all host of stuff. So, yeah, go check that out uh, for different ways to support the show. Or if you're just happy to, Make sure you subscribe. Make sure that you leave us a nice little five-star review if you listen on iTunes, or even if you feel extra generous, give us a share on social media. Let other people know you enjoy the show. Spread the word. Do appreciate listening. And yeah, thank you for your time and thanks for listening today. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So if you're still here and you're still listening, and well done for listening to the Australia show, and then catching up to this bit on the end where uh, Richard has been kind enough to agree to join us for the, the daunting, the, the terrorism quickfire questions. Are uh, you ready for this, Richard? No, oh, no, but go on anyway. <laughs> okay, question one, dog or cat? 
Dog. Good answer. Um, what is your favourite book of all time? <gasps> the Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Um, would you ever consider going vegan? Yes. So, an interesting way, way of the uh, I seemed unsure there, didn't I? But uh, potentially, yeah. So you would consider it, not necessarily yeah, do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is your favourite film of all time? The Blues Brothers. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. But yes, yeah. it's a cracking film. Um, okay. If you were a driving instructor, which obviously not, but if you were, how would you refer to your learners? Do you think you call them learners, students, pupils, customers? What do you think? Students. Okay. What's your proudest achievement in life? That's having my son, my boy. And the last one. Uh, do you what? I'll phrase that differently. What one goal, or give me one goal you've got left that you'd like to achieve? I'd like to write another book. Um, people listening can't see your expressions, but I'm very much enjoying them. <laughs> so that's easy. <laughs> All right. No, thank you for your time today. And now I really will let you go and enjoy your Friday. It's a pleasure. You take care, mate.